0: 2021 has been a wild journey for many. There's been upheavals, there's been wins, there's been losses in the cultural battles. And we invited Father Frank Pavone uh, to come on the program once again to talk about how we can reflect upon those things in light of the Christmas story. (laughs) Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. And with me again is my good friend and wonderful co-host, Cameron Cote. Hello, sir. Hey, hey, this is
1: good. Today is December 10th, the time of recording. We are almost done all of our activism in Calgary. We got a, a few more events to do next week, but we are starting to to wind down and start catching up on all of our paperwork. And so if you emailed me uh, recently,
0: um, please expect an email back from me at some point here. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Now that you say that, so um, for those of you who are new to the program, we work for an organization in Canada called the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. We spend time on the streets. We equip churches and pro-lifers to be active and not just active, but effectively active in the pro-life movement. And so if you want to learn more about what we have been doing here at CCBR, if you're listening to this, when we release it in two weeks time, So our final episode of the year, we are going to be giving a year in review, not just a year in review here at the podcast, because if you listen to the podcast, you know precisely what this year has brought so far for us and the type of episodes that we've had. But our year in review more uh, prominently, I guess, for the organization we work for, CCBR, we have offices in four provinces across uh, Canada. We do outreach out of all of those offices uh, amongst other work as well, reaching out to churches reaching out to community groups, writing books, writing blogs, doing podcasts, and so on and so forth. And so we'll share some numbers, we'll share some stats, we'll share some stories, and we'll share some of the progress that we've made here at CCBR. So tune in, uh, because Cam, as he said, (laughs) is uh, super busy right now, and much of his busyness is to prep for those year-end numbers. (laughs) Our conversation today is with a guest that we had on previously, Father, Father Frank Pavone is the president of Priest for Life. We had him on before as well, but we ha- we, we wanted to, to, to have him to come on today to share a bit of a Christmas reflection, as I mentioned off the top of the show, in light of 2021, in light of 2020, in light of uh, just the crazy decade we're in, let's <laughs> say. And so, um, yeah, we thought it, it most poignant, uh, specifically at the Christmas season, in the midst of Advent, to have this conversation. So here is our conversation with Father Frank Pavone. Father Pavone, thank you for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today.
2: Great to be back, thank you very much.
0: Yeah, we, uh, we're grateful for, for you taking the time to join us. Now, as we look back on 2021, and I feel like looking back on 2021, it's hard not to include 2020 into it, uh, considering all the things that have taken place and transpired. It seems like it's been just this wild ride, um, especially for conservatives. With um, you know presidencies and and the prime minister uh, here in Canada, different political things. There's the omission of the Hyde Amendment in Biden's budget. There's the challenging of Roe versus Wade, something that a few years ago, I mean, didn't seem that likely from my vantage point would would actually happen. Um, but here we are with the Dobbs versus Jackson Hole health case, um, and then as we look around the world, there. Are, um, are also just there's a lot of political pressure. There's a lot of pressure from abortion uh, supporters and advocates in many countries, Central and South America, in different parts of Europe, in different parts of the world. Um, and we we're seeing uh, abortion on demand come to a, a number of countries. And uh, but we're also seeing the other side of things as well. We're seeing countries like the Honduras enshrining constitutional protections for preborn children uh, deeply into um, sort of their laws and their constitutions, so that it's nearly impossible for abortion ever to enter into the country. Now, we're wondering, as we as we dive in um, to this episode and as we wrap up the year, when you reflect on 2021 from your perspective, a, a pro-life Christian perspective, what stands out to you?
2: Well, there are tremendous victories, and that's what I always focus on. We are making progress. You know, it doesn't matter, and this, I think, is a good lesson for life in general. It doesn't matter where on the journey you might be. Uh, what matters is that you keep on moving. You keep on going. It doesn't matter how strong the challenges are that are coming against you, nor for that matter, how strong the wind is at your back and the successes you're enjoying. The key is perseverance. Uh, if you know that you're going in the right direction, if you know you're fighting for the right things, keep going, don't stop. Even if you're moving very slowly, You keep going. That's the key to ultimately winning. And these last couple of years have have, have proven that, you know, the pro-life side, the uh, uh, what you might call the the pro-life political uh, world. There's been so many uh, ups and downs and challenges and so forth, Uh, but we have persevered. We have kept going. The people uh, in these movements have not uh, lost their uh, conviction or vision in any way, and we've seen tremendous results and victories, and it's not just because of the efforts that we're making, it's the efforts we made in the past. For example, with the political scene, like you mentioned, some of the the pro-abortion things that are happening under the Biden administration, but the Dobbs case, we wouldn't have this this tremendous case with a tremendous hope for victory in it were it not for President Trump and the justices he placed on the court. So it's like we're experiencing right now immediate negative effects of a pro-abortion administration. But inserted into that from the past are positive effects from an administration that um, is technically in the past, but whose actions on the courts perdure into the future. And that's one of the things we always tell voters, you know, when when you're voting and so many voters are motivated by the question of the courts, you think about this is going to far outlast this administration. And we say that, and we remind people of that, and people do accept that, and they get motivated by that. But now we're seeing seeing the, 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 the evidence of it in practice. So it's been a year of progress, a year of perseverance, a year of victory uh, amidst many obstacles. Uh, and as far as the setbacks, the pro-life movement is, as always, uh, learning from that. And uh, in some ways, the other side is doing our work for us, because one of the paths to victory is exposing the extremism of the other side. So when they do things like eliminate a provision, protecting our taxpayer dollars from going to to fund abortion, a provision that has been supported for decades in a bipartisan way and that enjoys the support of most of the public, well, that's just an expression of extremism if you get rid of that. It's like... uh, who gave you the mandate to get rid of that? Certainly not the not the public, not the people, uh, not the voters. Who gave you the mandate to get rid of that? Uh, the The answer can only be the 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 abortion industry and that and that small group of extremists who really support it without any restriction or or uh, or hesitation. We expose it, and when people see the extremism, they reject. So overall, I'm very grateful as we conclude this year and, uh, and look back on it and, uh, and prepare for a new one.
1: Love it. And and one question, Father Buffon, before I dive into the kind of the Christmas message, you mentioned off air that there's actually some kind of breaking news at the Supreme Court level. I know a lot of people are focused on the Dobbs versus Jackson Health Clinic um, case that, that was heard uh, December 1st. But you mentioned off air just a moment ago that, that the Supreme Court has actually just produced um, some more information about the challenge to the the Texas heartbeat bill and the, um, the reflection on that. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about what's happening there.
2: Right. Yes, this is breaking news. Uh, uh, today, December 10th, the Supreme Court um, issued a decision on one aspect of the Texas heartbeat law. Now, this law has gotten a lot of attention because it's the only heartbeat law that has actually been allowed to go into effect uh by the courts uh including the high court uh, about a dozen states have passed this uh law which says we're going to protect babies as soon as we can detect a heartbeat now the heart starts beating 21 days after after fertilization right so you can start detecting it a few days after that so that's basically 4 weeks after fertilization which is 6 weeks gestational age into the pregnancy now uh, this is saving thousands of lives because it's been in effect since September 1st. And the reason the Texas law has remained in effect is that it has a unique enforcement mechanism. You know, when, this, when the courts stop a law, they, 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 the courts are not legislatures. They can't take the law off the books. All they can do is they can tell the state officials who are charged with enforcing that law that they cannot do so. So the law remains on the books. But the state officials cannot enforce it. So what Texas did with this law was to say we're not going to ask the state officials to enforce it. The people are going to be empowered to enforce it. So it's a private citizen mechanism. It's not a brand new concept. It it does exist. But for it to be applied to a law like this has not not, uh, been seen before. And so the courts are still kind of wrestling with, you know, well, what well, what do we do with this? Uh, but meanwhile, while they wrestle, it has been in effect. And today, uh, the Supreme Court decided on a case that's been considering for a month now where a couple of things happened. The abortion uh, industry, the abortion clinics in Texas, uh, sued, went to the Supreme Court and said, you, you got to stop this this uh, uh, this law. They were trying to sue the state officials, including judges and clerks, and saying, you know, you, you've you got to take action and, and, and stop this law. Uh, and the also the Biden administration weighed in and they challenged Texas. Now, where a presidential administration comes into the mix is not quite clear constitutionally. It's a state, a state has passed a law. And so, you know, you can challenge the constitutionality of the law and the court can deliberate that. But Where does the presidential administration come in suing Texas for a law that it passed. Well, the Supreme Court today did a few things. They let the law stand. It's still in effect. Now notice they haven't debated yet the constitutionality of the law itself. That question is going to depend in part on how they decide the Mississippi case, the Dobbs case, because that kind of goes to the same issue of uh, protecting these babies prior to viability. But what the court did say was that, first of all, when the abortionists sue the state of of, of Texas or the, the state officials, they can continue to do that in the lower courts, but they can't sue the judges and the clerks. So they kind of limited the scope of those lawsuits. Uh, those all those lawsuits will continue. But the Biden administration, they dismissed their, their uh, lawsuit. They said, you guys don't have any Say in this, you know, this is a this is a matter of uh, the state of Texas passed a law and it's being challenged in court, and 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 and, and that's that. Uh, so this was a, we we look at this as 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 a, as a victory, even though these low the lower court lawsuits will continue. You know, so be it. I mean, people are going to sue people all the time for anything. So uh, we can fight those lawsuits, but uh, it's a great victory. The law continues to save lives, and it is for the reasons I mentioned, really historic. Uh, and we'll see now in, in you know in months to come if the constitutionality of the law uh, is is affirmed
1: yeah and and praise God that like you said this is saving thousands of lives month over mm-hmm. month and and so long as it's in uh, being um, being held up and being practiced in the state of Texas it's going to continue to save lives and so um, Hopefully that, that sticks around for as long as, as it needs to until it drops down. Hopefully it doesn't go back up um with more weeks, but but down and down and down until all children are protected. And yes. and I the the volume of work, whether it was the lawyers, the politicians, the grassroots that that built towards this legislation and, and ultimately the work of the pro-life movement in general. You mentioned all of the victories, all of the political, educational, pastoral, legal, all these different arms over this year it's been a a tremendous year for pro-life reach especially with the the pandemic and having to adapt everything and and all that kind of thing and as we approach the christmas season as a Mm. lot of pro-life groups are starting to wind down their activity and and whether it's the staff or the volunteers or the supporters are starting to kind of take a bit of a deep breath I, i was wondering if you could kind of offer a bit of a Christmas reflection, uh, whether whether we tie in the nativity story, I'll, I'll leave it entirely in your core. But what do you think of when you come into the Christmas season? And what do you want to challenge and invite the pro-lifers, the Christians who are tuning into this episode to reflect upon during this Christmas season?
2: You know, the Christmas message given to those shepherds in the field was that a savior has been born for you and that this would be good news for all the people. Let's just look at that phrase to begin with, all the people. He wasn't just talking about all the people in, in uh, Judea at that time or in, in, uh, in even in, in the world at that time. It's all the people from Adam and Eve down to the last person who will ever come to be. This Savior comes for all humanity. Now, all humanity includes the unborn, So Christmas is for them, too, because the Savior has united humanity to himself, to divinity. So God and humanity have combined. And this, by the way, is the basis for exchanging gifts at Christmas, because there's been an exchange on this very, very uh, uh, deep and profound level between humanity and divinity. God took humanity upon himself. He didn't just create humanity. But at Christmas, he makes it his own. So he created a human body and a human soul for Adam and Eve and for Moses and for everybody, for you, for me. Uh, And he said, this is yours. This is your body. This is your soul. Um, But in Christ, uh, 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 when Christ was conceived in the womb of Mary and then born nine months later, uh, he took a human body and soul, created them and said, this is mine. And this is the mystery of the Incarnation. Now Christmas is celebrating the Incarnation. The birth is one key dimension, one key moment in that mystery. But Christmas actually celebrates the whole reality of the Incarnation. His conception, his his living in the womb, his birth, his sharing our humanity. So there's the sharing of humanity. Humanity gives, gives a share of its own nature to God. And then... God gives us a share in his divinity. So as St. Peter says in the New Testament, we become partakers of the divine nature. Uh, And so this is the exchange of gifts at Christmas. God becomes human. Humans can become sharers in divinity. This applies also to the unborn. Jesus didn't die just for some people. He He didn't become incarnate just for some people. He took all humanity to himself in the incarnation, and then in the resurrection and ascension into the heights of heaven, all humanity. So we have no basis when we celebrate Christmas for excluding anyone from this this welcome, from this recognition. Welcoming the Christ child, and this is right at the heart of the celebration that we're about to, to undertake. Being happy that the baby is laid in the manger hearing angel choirs singing about this birth, decorating, having wonderful meals, uh, beautiful music, and exchanging presents. All of those things, by the way, you notice how our faith engages all the senses, you know, the taste of a great uh, holiday meal uh, 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 the the sights of the, the Christmas lights and the the sounds of the music and the smells you know I have some Christmas candles burning here in my office you know and you have the the scent of the the you know the Christmas tree pine trees and whatever whatever we have in our in our homes um, all of this God God means for us to engage the senses in this beautiful celebration um, but we can't welcome the Christ child without a willingness to welcome all humanity. So a person who is trying to welcome Christ, but has in his or her heart uh, an attitude that, you know, well, the unborn, you know, they're not even, they're not even human, you know, or I can, whether they're human or not, you know, they're in the woman's body, so we can, we can, we can kill these babies by abortion. It, it, you you can't, then you're not welcoming Christ then. You're not welcoming all those whom he welcomes. This is the the universality of Christmas. In fact, I have a a booklet, and we're distributing it this Christmas, we've had it online for for years, called Christmas for the Unborn. And and that's the webpage too, christmasfortheunborn.com. And it contains reflections like this pertaining to all the Advent season and all the Christmas season. And there's a lot of different angles of all of this that we can use to uh, further motivate our pro-life work. One of the other angles of this that I've commented on is the empty uh, or the uh, rather the uh, no room at the inn. So so we read, you know, again, on that first Christmas night, well, you know, Mary uh, is getting ready to give birth. And they've they've gone to Bethlehem because the census is taking place and uh, and there's no room for them at the inn. Now, think about this for a minute, because God announced centuries beforehand that that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And the prophets announced it for in mean, many centuries, uh, all the details about not only his birth, uh, but about his death, about the crucifixion. I mean, there's prophecies and psalms and and all of this we read in Advent as we get ready uh, for Christmas and. You think, well, wait a minute, God pre- God knew exactly what was going to happen. He prepared for all this. He owns all the room in the universe. How could there not be room for Mary, Joseph, and the baby? Obviously, God did this on purpose. This was not some circumstance beyond God's control, and this was not something God forgot. He did it on purpose because he wants to show that the Savior came to reconcile. The Savior came to reconcile those who make no room for him, who who exclude God, who exclude other human beings, whose whose hearts have been emptied by their own choice of the God who wants to come to them. And this emptiness, this lack of room is a sign of the enmity with God, the enmity that sin brings. And sin separates us from God. It separates us from one another. It separates us from, uh, from created reality. And it separates us from ourselves. Christ comes at Christmas precisely to heal all those divisions, all those wounds, all that enmity, and to help us again to welcome one another. Abortion is part of that enmity, part of that rejection, part of that unwillingness to make room for the child who comes, who comes unexpectedly who comes in a way that's unplanned, who comes in a way that seems impossible to accommodate. There's no room in the inn for the unborn child. And yet God comes into this situation and he has deliberately set up that Christmas scenario to remind us, yes, it's time to make room, to make room for the God who comes and to make room for the children who come and all the human beings who come, the poor, uh, the sick, the troublesome, the burdened, the sinners, welcome back the prodigal son, go in search of the lost sheep. God wants to bring everybody in to a glorious kingdom that is initiated with this Christmas mystery of the incarnation. So those are some of my reflections. Again, christmasfortheunborn.com. If people like these kinds of of connections between Christmas and our pro-life commitment, well, you'll find a lot more where, where, where these came from.
0: Thank you, sir. That is extremely helpful. And I think a a poignant reminder for us in the midst of the upheaval, perhaps in the midst of the wins and the losses and the things in our lives and around us that seem so flexible and all over the place and and are really challenging in many ways The Christian faith. It's a a vital reminder to ground ourselves in the incarnation of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the the story uh, that is the Christmas story that we reflect on this year. So Thank you so much for taking this short time and sharing that with us.
2: Well, it's a joy. It's a joy to be with you. And uh, let's uh, let's really, you know, I'm always a big advocate of uh, 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 New Year's resolutions. So let's all uh, find those good next steps. Uh, that we need to take, whether it's in our own spiritual life or maybe in our relationships uh, uh, or our prayer life, whatever it might be to improve ourselves. And maybe, you know, one of the most popular ones, of course, is is going on a diet, right? So many people say, oh, I'm going to change my eating habits, whatever the resolution is. Let's make it with great confidence as we go into this new year. And let's resolve to do more than ever on these fundamental issues, because we are making progress. People love to join a winning team, right? And right now, you know, there's no doubt the pro-life movement is a winning team. Let's make a resolution to do even more in 2022 for the youngest, uh, smallest, most defenseless members of our human family, the children in the womb. And all of us at Priests for Life, as you know, we're eager to collaborate with you and with all those who are listening and watching uh, as we go forward into another, what I'm confident will be another year of progress.
0: That was Father Frank Pavone, the president of Priests for Life. We are going to link the website that he shared, christmasfortheunborn.com in the show notes. So go check out that and the resources that are available for you over there. Kim, I had one thought as uh, Father Frank was talking. He is American. He's in the states, and if I was American living in the United States, I would um, see lots of cause for uh, for joy as well. Uh, you know, there there seem to be good things coming in the Dobbs v. Jackson Whole Health uh, case that is in the Supreme Court right now. There seem to be a lot of great things with a Texas law that's coming um, or that has come uh, in September, plus so many of the other states that are, um, yeah, legislating solid pro-life legislation but here we are cam you and i Mm -hmm. we are in uh canada which does not seem to look so promising uh and i know many of our listeners are in various parts of the world as well where uh, there seems to be little pro-life act action uh in the political realm and uh and and perhaps they're thinking um maybe like i was that there's not a ton for hope but i know that you have uh a fantastic reflection on this. So please, please uh, share with me. How would you, how would you respond?
1: I, I think it's a great question. It came up a couple of weeks ago when I was giving a talk for a group in North Vancouver, um, this, this question of we're not seemingly seeing any progress here in Canada, why aren't we? Why are they seeing so much progress in the States and not here in Canada? And I'm sure others around the world are asking similar questions. And I, the response is very simple. It's that we are following in their footsteps. That 10 years ago, they were asking the very same questions that we are asking right now the pro life movement in america is an absolute juggernaut and has been working diligently with huge engagement from churches from pro life initiatives from all sorts of other people for the last 40 50 years with widespread buy in and while in canada and other places around the world there have been absolute stalwarts within the pro life movement we we simply haven't had the engagement of the church that we we are now experiencing even not to mention the hopes that we have in coming years. And so we are following the template that America put in place however many years ago that is now coming to fruition. We have hope because the plan that we are enacting is very similar to the the plan that was established and set in, in motion um, at, at some points decades ago in America and we are seeing the fruits of that labor now in America, that the, the hard fought educational battles that, that they have been waging on street corners and on doorsteps, the political progress, the nominations and elections, the pastoral care and, and better supporting families experiencing challenging pregnancies, all of that work, all of that foundation that they have laid has led towards the success that they are now seeing. So long as we, um, outside of America, are able to follow that template with the nuances of our current cultural moment in our regions, in our countries, wherever we are, every nation is a little bit different. And so you're going to have to adapt this. And we in Canada, at CCBR have adapted this to the Canadian culture. I'm sure other groups around the world have done similar things. Um, We... We need to continue pressing forward on what we have seen, um, been successful there with the nuance of our, our current cultural area. And, and we're going to see that success as well. And so we can celebrate the success that, that we see south of the border. We can be diligent in bringing that success north of the border to our home areas, realizing that while certainly we, we strive for overarching political success, the story both begins and ends at the individual level. Right, that we can't afford to have pre-born children become a statistic any more than we want abortion advocates to have pre-born children as a statistic. The conversation begins with that mother, with that father, with that family, with that preborn child in front of you, and the story ends with their life protected, whether through political means, whether through educational means, whether through pastoral support. That's what I have to say on that. And I think that Father Father Frank um, hits a beautiful note there. Just one thought on my end, Peter, of um, no room in the inn. And so often in contemporary culture, we see people saying, but this is not how I drew it up. This is not where I wanted it to be. There's no room in my life for a baby. And yet, as Father Frank mentioned, and as um, I want to encourage people to continue thinking on and reflecting on, that the Lord finds a way. Right, that it is not like like Mary showed up in Bethlehem with Joseph and and a massive pregnant belly, and they booted somebody out of one of the inns so that they could have their picture perfect and everything that they anticipated delivery of their child. It's not that God forces through the way that you had envisioned, but God finds a way to bring about His glory and honor and to bring about beauty, even in the midst of no room in the conventional inn, no room in where we thought the child would be born sort of thing. And so that's something that I think that we can reflect on and something that we can empower and challenge others to reflect on as well. That as much as there wasn't room in the inn and they didn't just randomly find another room and like, oh, I guess you can do everything that you always wanted to with this baby and nothing in your life has to change, that God finds a way. And he often finds a way through us, the pro-life movement. And so Thank you for your efforts in whatever capacity it has been. If if you are working for a pregnancy care center, if you are a politician, if you are educating people, if you are praying for the success of the pro-life movement, if you are doing anything, thank you for your engagement. We We appreciate it so, so much. And not because it helps us, but because it helps preborn children. And so thank you for the sacrifice that you've made for children. And and my last note on this, a, a blessed Christmas to each and every one of you, wherever you are, whatever that looks like for you and your um,
0: those around you. Thank you, Cam. That is an excellent reminder and an excellent call to action as well. Uh, that if we want to see some of the success, successes that are taking place in other countries, then we need to look at how they got there in the first place and uh, and do some of the same things that they did. Well, everyone, this has been uh, a joy and a pleasure uh, this week. Thank you so much for tuning in, for giving uh, us a space in your earbuds or your car speakers or wherever it is that you are listening to this. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to reach out to us for any reason, you can do so on our website, prolifeguys.com or by finding us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And do consider becoming a patron of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Not only will you help us to create better content, but you'll also help us to get this content to the world, to market it to the world, to uh, share with more and more people the truth about abortion, but not just that, the um, excellent time-tested and street-tested apologetics that we seek to um, share on this podcast to equip people to change minds, to save lives, and to transform culture in whatever nation you might be in. Thank you for your involvement in the pro-life movement. Thank you for taking the time and listening to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. We hope you tune in again next time. God bless you all.